We've been studying the Gospel of Mark, and we continue that study now in the 13th chapter of Mark. These are great and powerful words. Will you join me in reading the text? But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Would you be seated? Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt like the whole world was ending? When you looked up and, and you didn't know if you could make it through another week or day or, or anything, maybe not even another hour. Maybe you've even had a month like that or, or maybe even a year. It's hard to put that into words, isn't it? It's hard to really find the language to describe those kinds of feelings. If you're having that kind of time in your life right now, this sermon's for you. If you're blessed not to be going through that right now, let this be a time of preparation because as human beings... We do come to those moments in our life. In 1833, Andrew Jackson was the new president. There were 24 states in these United States. The great Kiowa band came from north to what is now Oklahoma. They went to their sacred land, which is west of Rainy Mountain, west of modern-day Medicine Park, and north and west of modern-day Lawton. They came there to dance the sun dance, a dance so powerful in its call for people to give up, to make sacrifice for their tribe, so powerful that that dance was banned in the United States until 1974. 1974. They brought sacred relics with them in a medicine bag to help them in the dance. They set up their camp there in that place that Pulitzer Prize-winning writer in Scott Momenday, a Kiowa from Oklahoma, describes as the place, when you see it, where you think God began creation. Must have been a beautiful setting there in the still, quiet waters of a small, freshwater, spring-fed lake. The mountains in the background. The warriors gathered up and went out to hunt the great bison, which, which roamed the plains and then by the tens of thousands. As they left the camp, they didn't know that they were being watched. And as soon as the, the Kiowa braves were, were gone a great distance, an Osage war party swept down on the Kiowa camp, on the camp of their bitter enemies, and began to slaughter every Kiowa there. Old grandfathers and old grandmothers fought as best they could with rocks and sticks, but were cut down. The dozens upon dozens of young mothers gathered up their children, formed a circle around them, and fought as best they could, but soon every mother had been killed as well. The children were not spared. Only a few survived to be taken away as hostages. The sacred medicine bag that contained the relics for the Sundance was also taken with the hostages. It was such a devastating thing 
the Kiowa struggled to find words to describe it. Imagine, if you would, every woman, child, grandparent in an entire state was gone. It was that kind of a loss. My ancestors lived in Erin Springs, and like other white families, described it as, as the, the massacre at Cutthroat Gap. You can still see the state marker there. The Kiowa found eventually uh, another metaphor to describe it. This is a, a Kiowa calendar marking the years, and as you, you find it in the Smithsonian. As you go around, you get to this place where the stars are falling. And even now, the Kai remember it as the year the stars fell from the skies. There are some things that are, that are so hard. It seems like, like, like the end itself has come. As though the light of heaven has been shut out. Jesus would describe a time like that himself. We've been studying Amy Jill Levine's wonderful book, The Gospel of Mark, A Beginner's Guide to the Good News. Every other pastor's made fun of the title, so I guess I should. If you've read it, it doesn't feel like a beginner's guide, does it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging for us who've had seminary training. It's challenging for everybody who reads it. But it's so important, right? It's, it's, it's all of everything about our faith compressed in a very small document called the Gospel of Mark, the founding document of, of, of the Gospels in the New Testament. Intense, powerful. It's in that document that, that Jesus predicted a year would come when the stars would fall from the sky. And that's where we are in the 13th chapter of the Gospel. Jesus is describing what that that time will be like. If you remember the context, there's a war going on, or maybe it's just finished, as Mark writes. When Israel has been wiped out by the Romans, Jerusalem was laid siege to. The people were starved to death for years there under Roman siege. Eventually, the city was captured and destroyed. The temple itself, where Jesus taught, where Jesus worshipped, is destroyed. This week, I, this, this last week, I was reading an article, new research they're doing on the stones of that temple. They're still laying on the ground where the Romans left them. You may see in your Bible, as you come to this passage, it's called the little apocalypse. I always question that. Is there, is, is there such a thing as a little apocalypse? Isn't that by definition, aren't all apocalypses big? That, that's something put in by the editors. That wasn't in the original scripture, just by the way. And it, it, it means that this small section is describing the apocalypse. And it's a small section compared to the book of Revelation, which is the large apocalypse in that kind of language. The apocalypse comes from a Greek word, apocalypto, which means to reveal, to reveal, to, to, to show something. The little apocalypse, so-called in gospel in Mark 13, reveals what the end of time itself might look like. The powerful thing for Jesus to speak these words as he is looking at the end of his life. In the gospel of Mark, we are in the passion setting. He's already there. He already knows what's going to happen. He'll be at the cross very soon. The apocalyptic language is, is always given in Scripture to lift us out of the ordinary. It's a way of saying, wake up. 
Know that every moment you have in life is precious. As a pastor, I've done hundreds of funerals and I've had people say, I wish I had a little more time with my loved one. I wish I'd, I wish I'd said, lo- I love you, or said it one more time. I wish I'd, I'd done this or that with them. This language is, is powerful and calls us to claim those moments in life and make the most of them. Jesus has brought this group of disciples with him. They've come from, from, from the area of the Galilee where they grew up, where they were raised, which is a, a rural area. It's sort of like Fay, Oklahoma, where I worked in the summers as a kid on, on my uncle's farm. And they've come into the, to the big city, the greatest city any of them will ever know, Jerusalem. At times, on festival times, Jerusalem was as large as Rome or any other city in the world. It was an incredible place. And at the center of it all is this beautiful, amazing temple. Temple first built by Solomon, restored by Herod, and, and in the place where Jesus would, would teach. And, and, and the disciples were so amazed at, at this building, and they remark on it, and how wonderful and incredible it is. And Jesus tells them that it will soon be destroyed. Now, Mark's readers, original readers, were living with that reality. With the reality that, that everything they knew, every institution they knew, their government, Every political institution, every educational institution, and every religious institution, the center of their worship, all those things were being destroyed. Romans' 10th legion was very efficient. And to hear those words from Jesus must have been overwhelming. He says to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Don't let anybody confuse you or mess you up. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. If you travel in certain Christian circles, when the current conflict in the Middle East began on October 7th, people pointed at it and said, this is the end. These are the signs of the end. But what does Jesus say? Don't be alarmed. You're going to hear about things, a lot of things in life. Life is made up, sadly, of conflict. And sometimes that happens on a, on a scale between nations. But that doesn't mean the world is ending. In fact, he says, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But this is the beginning of the birth pangs. I have never given birth, but some of you have. And I have been told by women in my family, it is not an easy thing. I've heard them remind their children of that on certain occasions. There's something that that happens in the birthing process that's painful and difficult. And yet in birth, there's hope and life. There's future and promise. And Jesus is saying that you're going to hear about these things and conflicts and so forth. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be alarmed of that. A new age, something new and powerful is coming. And this is the beginning of it. And remember, he's saying these words, knowing that in a few days he'll be going to the cross in a very short time. He goes on to say it this way, and he points out the the depth of the conflict. Sibling will betray sibling to death. And a father is child. And children will rise against parents and put them to death. 
and you will be hated by all because of my name. But say these words with me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying when things are hard, when the world seems to be crashing down, when you feel the end of time pressing in on you, that's the time to endure. And there are some situations in life that are so hard, all we can do is endure them. There are some things that can't be fixed, they can only be managed, they can only be dealt with, they can only be endured. And Jesus said in those times, hang in there. He's going to explain why in just a minute. Just let the weight of that land on you for a moment. So no matter how bad things are, hang in there. This is a call to the church. The Gospel of Mark was written to us. This is what we're supposed to do as the church. He goes on to say, but when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, Mark's words here, not Jesus in parentheses, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. This is really powerful language if you grew up Jewish, right, in those days. It references the book of Daniel when when the Jewish people were hauled off into bondage. And a king there set himself up as the king of all things, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which is the worst thing you can do to Jewish people, the most horrible thing, the desolating sacrilege, right? And he told the Jews, you don't need to practice your religion anymore. You just, you just need to worship me. Just do what I say. We don't know if there's a corresponding thing that happened in Jesus' time. We know, for instance, that the emperor, Roman emperor, emperor Caligula put his, tried to put his statue up in the temple, And the Jews rebelled against that. So we're not sure about that. What's being said here is, and I love the fact that that Mark kind of leaves it open-ended. Because what he's saying is, you're going to see things that are so horrible, you can't believe human beings could do that. You're going to to experience that. You're not only going to feel like the stars of the heavens have, have turned off and disappeared, that the light in the sky is gone. You're not only going to feel earthquakes. You're not only going to hear about wars and battles between nations. You're not, all that's going to happen. But beyond that, you're going to see things that are so horrible, you think that just human beings couldn't do that. And it says flee to the mountains because throughout the Old Testament, when people are in trouble, they run to the mountains. There's a reason the Kiowa went to the mountains every year to dance the Sundays. And then Jesus offers these consoling words. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now that sounds pretty awful, right? Everything we know and we can, I don't know about you, first thing I do is get up in the morning is go out and see if the sun's up, right? Sometimes it's not. Right? I like to see the stars where they're supposed to be every night before I go to bed. I go out and look at the stars. Every grandchild in my family can tell you I've made them go out at night every night before they go to bed and look at the stars. There's something powerful in that. That's all going to be gone. Even if that feels like it's gone, Jesus says. Don't worry. The Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory. Now, there are a lot of different ways to say that. Jesus has power. Jesus, when he references glory, it's just not poetic language we stick into Christian stuff. It's a phrase that, 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 that recognizes God's powerful presence. So Jesus is saying, I'm God. And what Jesus is saying is when you're in that moment, 
When the lights of heaven seem to disappear, when the whole world's shaking and there seem to be nothing but wars and conflicts around you, I got you. I got you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be alarmed. I've got you. In fact, what he's really inferencing here is that it's not only do I got you, I'm going to go to the cross and die for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you to a relationship with God and so you'll know you're loved by God. And if you know that, you can handle anything. Versus then he will send out his angels and gather. I love that language. It's, it's maternal language. It's mother language. It's like the verse about a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. And if you think about the Gospel of Mark, it's the only gospel where the angels are with Jesus all 40 days he's in the wilderness sort of doing battle with Satan. The angels are always there taking care of him. And, and now he's saying, I'm taking those angels who, who minister to me and I'm sending them out to minister to you. Wherever you are, wherever the stars are falling in your life, you are not alone. My angels are there with you. And their job is to bring you to me, to gather you to me. Now the disciples have been saying, okay, that's all amazing, but, but did you tell us when that's going to happen? I mean, could you put it on my calendar? Can I mark it on my watch? You know, could you just give us a little bit of a clue here? Like, like what's the date? And Jesus says this, But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. And when next time you hear somebody say, oh, these are the signs, the end is near, just remember that even Jesus didn't know, and whoever's saying that's putting themselves above Jesus and their knowledge. Run away from people that do that. Run away. Change the channel. Don't don't listen to that podcast again. Right? That's not true. What Jesus is saying is that I'm getting ready to go to the cross. You're going to witness the crucifixion of the Son of God. And it's going to feel like everything's coming to an end and there's no hope. The stars themselves falling from the sky. But we live between the beginning and the end of time. And nobody knows when the end is. My mom, some of you know my mom from around the dorms at OCU. My mom used to say, the world's going to end but it's not today. Let's go get something done. Right? The sort of thing you say to a 13-year-old who doesn't want to get out of bed on a Saturday morning. Right? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about that. You've got work to do. You've got things to do. You're called to be in ministry right now. That's really important because, and I hope I'm not the first person that ever told this or ever said this to you, but you will die. Right? And I will die. And so will every other human being. We're all going to die. There are no exceptions. I said that one time in a sermon, a guy asked me, are there any exceptions? Are there any loop? No loopholes. Right? It's the human condition. It's who we are as human beings. Jesus is talking to us about how we live in the meantime. How do we live between that time when everything was created and that time when everything we know will end and things will be changed and transformed? How do we live in that way? Karl Barth was one of the great church theologians of all time. He talked about us as the gathered people, the community of believers, the followers of Christ, how we're supposed to live. Because after all, Mark's gospel is written to the church, the church in tribulation, the church going through this incredible conflict of war in 67, 70 A.D., And and Bart wrote these words. 
The church is that community called to witness. So we're called to share, right? Tell the world. Called to witness God's revelation in this time between the times. The church, although a community of remembrance and hope, that's who we are. We remember and celebrate God's mighty saving acts throughout history. Wonderful German word I learned in history, Hagelkenstichte. That's what that is, right? Remembering. I paid $500 a credit hour. I'm going to use it, right? And we're called to be hopeful. But we're called to more than that. Bart put it this way. That church, the community of people who follow Jesus, we're also summoned in the time of the now. Right now we got stuff to do. You know, we got jingle jam coming up. You don't want to miss that, right? We got stuff to do. We got youth ministry, we got classes, we got all kinds of mission trips, things to do. We're called to be a living community, not a memorial group, a living community. One which becomes offensive to the world in a particular kind of way. I taught preaching for nine years, nine years, and I heard a lot of sermons that summarize Christianity as having good manners. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is going out and doing the work of Christ in the world. It's not just being nice to people. That's good. Do that. But it's more than that. As Bart put it, the church is called to be the source of prophetic unrest, admonition, and instigation. Those words are from an earlier time. Let me just break it down. Prophetic unrest. That is, we're called to say things aren't the way God wants them to be. God doesn't want war. God doesn't want little kids suffering. God doesn't want people to be lonely and warehoused away and, and unloved. Admonition, we're called to say something about that. Call it out, to say things can be better. And instigation, I love that word. It sounds like you're starting a secret underground group. But, but what he's saying is, you're supposed to go do something about it. You're supposed to go do something about the way the world is right now. Between now and the end of time, we've got work to do, ministry to do. We've got a calling as Christians, as believers. We sometimes forget that Mark thir- in Mark 13, Jesus is preparing the church for the cross and then living beyond the cross, living the resurrection. We're not just people who remember that Christ was raised. We are people that live resurrection every single day. How do we live in that meantime? How do we live in in what Bart called the time between the times? First, I think when you see the stars falling, we're called to bear witness to the cross. We're called to bear witness to the cross. The cross is Jesus Christ coming into the world, taking on the burden and the pains and the brokenness of all humanity. Embracing it and bearing it. So what does that mean? It means that you and I are called to be involved in the pain around us. What a great job description, right? We should put up some banners up in front of the church. Join us in the pain, right? Sometimes we sort of like to not pay too much attention to the cross. We might wear it around our neck, but we don't want to think about it very much. We're called to take up our cross and bear it. That's what we're called to do. We're called to to walk into the places where there's hurt and brokenness and give hope. Allow me to be a a, a seminary professor for just three minutes. John Wesley had a sermon called On the General Deliverance. I think it's the most wonderful sermon ever. I just love it. Changed my life. Helped me become a Christian. And and there are three simple lessons in that sermon that, that describe all of this. 
He said, first, prior to the fall, prior to sin coming into the world, creation enjoyed a harmony and an existence in keeping with the will of the creator. It's like Pastor Mark says, where everything worked the way it was supposed to, right? Nothing was broken. There was no sickness, no death, no starvation, no war, no conflict, no divorce, no, no anything that causes hurt. We were without that. But, but, but we brought sin into the world. So he says, second, the fall of humanity affected all creation. We're hurt. The world is hurt. Every living thing is hurt because we separated ourselves away from God. And it feels hopeless. It feels like, like, like a situation where the stars have fallen from the sky and nothing and no one can ever put them back again. Wesley says there's more. Third, he says, God is going to reconcile, reconcile and restore all of creation. One of the most powerful teachings in the Bible, and it's often ignored or just sort of glossed over because of, of tradition and things people wrote, you know, 500 years ago about what they think heaven is like. If you read the scripture carefully, what really happens in the end of time is everything is restored. Right? It's restored. It's made new again. Revelation 21, you can read that later this afternoon. It's, it's about things being made whole and new again. And the things that are broken, and the things that are hurting are healed and made whole. That's what really happens. Wesley, in, in his sermon, used the language from the great prophet Isaiah. In that day, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, a baby goat. A leopard and a baby goat together, no problem. Amazing. The calf and the lion, their, their children, their babies shall... shall, shall Stay together and be safe. A little child shall lead them. A cow and a bear shall graze on the fields together. The young shall lie down. Their young shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. It will go back to the way God intended it to be. A nursing child, a little baby, shall play over the hole of an asp, over a poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den, in the snake's den. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's where we're going. That's why when Mark starts his gospel, he starts it with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's saying to the disciples here, because they don't understand what's about to happen. You're going to see the Son of God, that very Son of God, Jesus Christ, that is the Christos, the Messiah. You're going to see the Son of God, the Messiah, nailed to a cross and bleed and die. And it's going to look like the stars have fallen from the sky and everything's over, but it's not. What Wesley's sermon was about, it's going to be restored. I love that sermon because he references Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, all the animals come together in heaven. All the animals come together and sing to Jesus. I just love that image. That's an image of hope and power. So let me tell you about one of those animals that's uh, still with us here. Uh, this is Katie. She was once described as a worthless dog, worthless, when she was a little puppy. She, uh, she was with a, a, a whole bunch of little Westie puppies at the vet, and she did not meet the standard for Westie, West Highland White Terrier puppies. We call them Westies. And so the, the breeder left her behind at the vet and said, put her down. We don't want her. She'll ruin the, you know, ruin the bloodline. Dogs like that, they don't meet the standard. And so the vet called us because he knew we, we took care of rescue dogs and said, could you take this dog? 
And Prudy happened to have a birthday coming. <laughs> That's how I justified it, right? I said, yeah, I think we can do that. He said, well, I just need you to pay the vet bills. And I said, I'm not going to pay the vet bills. He said, okay, just come get the dog, <laughs> right? And she was so tiny. This is her with our grandchildren. These guys are both in college now. So that tells you we've had her 17 and a half years. And I just look at her and think about how someone could look at that and say it's worthless. But we do that in life, don't we? We look at people, we look at groups, we look at whole nations, whole cultures, and say, well, they're just, they're just worthless. God sees so much more. If anybody's ever told you you're worthless, let me just tell you, you're not worthless to God. If anybody ever says about somebody they're worthless and you're, you're there, you just say they're not worthless to God. God loves them totally. So Katie was trained by Prudy. She went, they went to classes and she was trained to be a therapy dog because therapy dogs, besides having a good, good temperament, need one of two qualities. They either need to be large enough that people in hospital beds and wheelchairs don't have to lean over very far to pet them, or they need to be small enough to sit in someone's lap or in someone's hospital bed with them. And Katie fulfilled that latter quality. And so that worthless dog became very, very special. And Sprudy's getting ready to go out, and they went to go out and visit in children's hospitals and the children's center and in nursing homes and places like that. And one day, they were in a nursing home. And we took Katie, and we placed her in a lady's lap. The staff invited us to. And this lady just began to chatter to Katie. Good dog, good dog. What's your name? Oh, I had a dog. And the staff said, we've got to go call her daughter. And I thought, what, what has happened? And in a few minutes, the daughter came, and she came in, and she just started to cry. And eventually, she explained to us that her mother, holding Katie, was speaking for the first time in two years. But somehow, that connection with this little dog had brought her out of the fog of Alzheimer's if just for a while. And her family gathered once again, see and experience their mother as they knew her. And I think about how God works. When we think the stars are falling, we think it's all broken and it's all gone and it's all hopeless. God is still at work. Jesus says, I got you. In a million little decisions, if we say yes, miraculous things can happen. The vet said yes to saving that puppy's life. We said yes to taking the puppy. Prudy said yes to taking her to, I don't know how many training sessions to be a therapy dog. Our church group, we had a church group that took out their dogs as therapy dogs. They all said yes to be volunteers. And because of that, a miracle happened. 17 and a half years old, she's still taking care of us. Because that's how God is. Go to where the pain is and Christ will be revealed in your life. Two, when you see the stars falling, live the resurrection. We're not people of the tomb. We're people of the empty tomb, right? Some people want to get, get Jesus in there and just keep him in there and never let him out. That's not the biblical witness. And Pastor Mark will talk about that next week. But, but we're people of the resurrection. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You're going to see all this happen. You're going to see the cross. You're going to see what happens there. But that's not the end of the story. There's more to it. So what does that mean to live the resurrection? What does it mean? Well, it's very, it's very concrete if you think about it. It means to bring the world back to life. Start in your little corner of the world 
and, and bring it back to life. Find those places in your life where things seem to be dead and starless and dark and bring them back to life. This is Simone Veal. I'll talk about her at another time in depth, but she was a young girl, grew up with a lot of pain and hurt. She was a devoted atheist and a communist and fought for the communist in Spain. And then one day a friend invited her to church. Think about the power of this. And while she was there, first time she'd ever been in a church, she was in church, she had a powerful experience of Jesus Christ that changed her life. And she became a Christian, was a devout Christian for the rest of her life. She wrote this, and I think it's really, really helpful as we think about living out the resurrection. I think it's, these words are really powerful. We belong to God. God loves us. We do not have to search for God. We only have to change the direction in which we are what? Looking right? There's a resurrection happening around us every single day. It's happening everywhere. We just have to open our eyes to see it. We have to open our hearts to be willing to experience, and we have to be ready to pour our life into the places where the pain are so that we can be a part of bringing resurrection to those places. The kingdom of Christ will be fully realized in the right time when God chooses. In the meantime, you and I are called to live out resurrection every single day. You might think about that as you're seeing maybe some friends and family over the holidays you're not too sure about, right? We're called to live out resurrection. In 1834, a general named Leavenworth and a colonel named Dodge, and yes, those names should sound familiar, took a group of 500 soldiers Gather them at Fort Gibson, what's Fort Gibson Lake now in Oklahoma, right? There was a young Methodist army uh, chaplain there with them. They were going to set out from Fort Gibson to, to Rainy Mountain to meet with the Osage and the Kiowan to try to bring, bring peace among those tribes. Now, we could have early breakfast at Fort Gibson Lake, overlook the beautiful lake, and we could drive, we could have a late lunch in Medicine Park or Lawton, right? Not that far. The trip was so arduous that half of the soldiers died on it. It was such rough terrain and so forth in those days. Leavenworth, General Leavenworth died. They finally made it, and they sat down with the leaders of the two tribes, Osage on the left, Kiowa on the right, and a young Methodist chaplain there. And they made peace. They made peace. They returned the sacred medicine bag to the Kiowa. They returned the remaining hostages. And they're so impressed by, by this young chaplain that many of them became Christians. If you drive through southwest Oklahoma today, you can see the, the, the Native American uh, United Methodist Churches all over there that came from this moment where these people who once made war against each other now share the same Christ, the same baptism, and worship together. Live out the resurrection. There's nothing so bad that God can't make it right. There's nothing so broken that God can't bring healing to it. And you and I are called to be God's agents in the world and do the work of Christ. Here are your action steps. Bear witness to the cross. Become involved in the pain around you. Become involved in those places where there's hurt. That's it. Just find those places and be involved. And live the resurrection. 
Find places in your world, in your relationships, where you're willing to help bring them back to life. And now would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.